All right, we've been going through the, the life and ministry of Jesus here on earth. And Jesus is going to go through a, a period of time where he starts teaching in parables. Now, part of the problem with him teaching in parables is that those who are hearing him during his day don't seem to understand the parables. What's worse is in today's world, with all the commentaries and with all the opportunity to, if you're not as familiar with the scriptures, to see other theologians' thought, uh, when it comes to many of the parables, they'll tell you what it means, and they're flat out wrong. I mean, in, in many of the parables, tell, Jesus tells us what the explanation of the parable is. So I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to give you this particular parable, discuss why he speaks in parables, and then give Jesus' explanation of the parable. Now I will admit I'm going to do one thing off, off the schedule. And that is, I'm going to give a couple of applications that, that aren't, explained in the parable. And so I understand I'm taking a risk, but I want you also, and I'll tell you when that part comes, so that you can say, well, Pastor Joe has a pretty good point, or boy, did he miss that one. All right? Uh, so, so it's in Matthew 13. It's called the parable of the sower. Now, I started to want to change the sermon title because... From my perspective, I think the title of this parable should be the parable of the soil. But Jesus calls it the parable of the sower. So since he calls it the parable of the sower, I'm going to stick with him. Also, apparently this parable is so important that it's in all three of the synoptic gospels. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 13, but in... Mark chapter 4, when it discusses this same parable, and the, this, his disciples had the same question, he says, in essence, this parable is so important that if you don't understand it, how is it that you're going to stand all the other parables? So Jesus places a lot of emphasis on this parable and on understanding this parable, because then we kind of blow it on the rest. And so in Matthew chapter 13, it says this, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And a large crowd gathered to him so that he got into the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. Jesus gets to sit while he preaches and everybody stands. In our culture, I stand and you sit. Maybe we ought to switch it, because then that way I probably won't go to sleep while I'm sitting and you probably won't go to sleep while you're standing. And we'll work it out better. We'll see where is when I'm standing, I can't go to sleep. And while you're sitting, you might. But Jesus sits in the boat, which creates kind of like an amphitheater where he, his voice can be heard by the crowd. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate them up. And others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. 
and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Now when Jesus says, He who has ears, which is pretty much everybody, he's saying, this is on the test. It's important. You need to hear this, understand this, and not just hear it and understand it, but live it. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Now when we read this, not in context, we really don't see what Jesus is saying. The context is, as we discussed last time, the Pharisees and others accused Jesus of performing the casting out of a demon who Jesus operates through the Holy Spirit and credited Satan for the destruction. And Jesus said, everything will be forgiven a man. You can criticize Jesus all you want. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It will not be forgiven you in this age or the age to come. Jesus is saying, I am speaking to them in parables so that they never understand. Because if I don't speak to them in parables, they'll hear, they'll see, they'll understand, and will repent, and then I have to forgive them. But I'm not going to. So I'm never going to give them the opportunity to repent because what they did will never be forgiven. Now that's scary stuff. Because we kind of think of Jesus as Mr. Milktoast. He kind of goes wrong with any program. He's kind of the weakest, meekest guy in the room. And in essence, Jesus is saying, I come to die for you, but not you. Because you took the Holy Spirit and blasphemed him. So Jesus says, I don't want them to see. I don't want them to hear. I don't want them to understand. Because if they do those things, they'll repent. And I'll heal them. And they've not been forgiven. But, now most of the time when you hear the word but, it's like, oh man, it's like, I really like you, but. Then you know what's coming. And what, what's coming is really what they want to say. They just kind of said the other thing. But this is actually a good but. But blessed are your eyes, because they see. 
and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is saying, Moses was looking for my day. Daniel was looking for my day. Isaiah was looking for my day. Noah was looking for my day. Eve was looking for my day. And when you say, how do you know that? Because when Seth was born, she goes, perhaps he's the one. Everyone who knew God and knew his plan was looking to see and hear the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're blessed because you get to see the things that are happening. You get to hear the things that are happening. And, and in case you're wondering, the disciples didn't have a clue what he just talked about. So he's going to tell them so that they might understand. And fortunately, because we're following him, he's going to tell us what the parable means. And if this parable is important to our understanding the rest of Jesus' teaching and parable, we need to understand it. So here then the parable of the sower. Notice Jesus called it the parable of the sower. So I would be remiss if I changed the title. So here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Now the first thing I want you to understand is that the sower is not careful with the seed. He's casted it widely and throughout, so much so that it may land on a road or hard soil or whatever. And similarly, God presents His Word, the Gospel, in a broad setting. It's cast out. The Word of God is to go out. We're not to wonder, well, which, which soil is it? It's the sower seeds, cast out seeds. He is not selfish with the Word of God, nor should we. But the problem is, it has been snatched away. And if you've had any opportunity at all to witness to more than one or two people, there are times you will say, I don't get it why this person doesn't understand. Or you have a conversation with them, and the next time you have the same conversation, it's like you never had the first conversation. They don't understand. You're dealing with those that God, that the seed has gone out, and the Satan has snatched it up. They just don't understand, and they don't have any memory of what's going on. So this is the one that was sown beside the road. The one on whom the seed sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately see, receives it with joy. And yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when afflictions or persecutions arrive because of the word, immediately he fail, falls away. Now again, if you've had any experience of being with other members of churches and other people who claim that they're Christians or disciples or church members, it doesn't take very long that you'll go and you'll see these people and they'll give their lives apparently to the Lord and they're all excited and they're, you know, they could 
charge hell with a squirt gun, and, and they're just on what we call on fire for God. And we kind of think to ourselves, boy, I wish we had more people like that. I wish we had more people who were excited about God. Then after a few months or a year or two, they go away. I says, those are the ones who are on rocky soil. They have no depth. All that you saw was from the soil up. And for a plant to have sustainability, it has to have a root structure. But because the soil is rocky and the roots can't go down, all you see is being on fire until they're not. The sad thing is, is that sometimes we will tend to be a little uh, cold and indifferent to those because we see them all of a sudden being on fire and we go, yeah, but are, are you real? Are you really real? But the word here never tells us to be soil inspectors. Be fruit inspectors. Wait for the fruit. Praise God that they're praising God. But in reality, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, of wealth, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Again, these aren't ones who maybe pop up quickly and then go away. They may seem to be there for a while or not. They come to worship the Lord when it's convenient, when there's no overtime, when they have an opportunity to do something else. Because they're worried about what's happening in this life. So they get choked off. And the one on whom the seed was sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, and who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold some 60, and some 30. Notice Jesus doesn't praise or, or diminish those who have different bounties. He says the soil produces the fruit and it produces sometimes fantastic harvest and sometimes a good harvest. Now as we look at these soils, we hope, we pray, we desire to be the good soul. We want to be genuine believers. We don't want to pop up and then die. So I want to now, this is where I'm going to depart from Jesus' specific teaching to say what I think is consistent with this teaching, 
but not a part of the explanation. I'm not going to talk to those who are by the road. Because even if I make some good points, you're not going to remember them. And I'm not going to talk about those who have little depth of soil, because you may think the sermon's great the next week. So what? But I want to talk to the other two soils. But before I do the other two soils, I want to say this about the sower. The sower can be you and me. The sower should be you and me. We should be spreading the word of God. And we should not be selfish with it. We should not be saying, well, I'll only give it to, to the ones soils that I think will produce a harvest. There is a debate in theology between free will and predestination. And one of the criticisms that the free willers have about the people who believe in predestination is like, well, if you believe in predestination, then what's the point about preaching because everybody who's predestined is going to get saved anyway, and so what point does it make? There was an evangelist who believed in predestination, and when presented with that criticism, he said, if it were the case that everyone who was predestined to be saved had a yellow mark down their back, I'd lift up their coat to see where there's a yellow mark, and I'd preach to them. But since God did not do that, I preach to everyone. So as sowers, we need to preach to everyone, regardless of what we may think the soil's like. But now I'm going to preach the two soils. The first soil is the one about being choked by the word because of the thorns and the brushes who have been grown up. If that's you, if you find yourself worried about this life, worried about finances, worried about health, and all those things are legitimate things to worry about, I, I you know, if you're told you have some terrible disease, you know, it's not like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. Or you're told you've lost your job. I'm not saying these things don't matter. But when they start to affect your faith, that's the difference. And so if you find yourself having the inappropriate plant in your soil, pray God remove them. Don't be satisfied being that soil. Say, God, rip that concern and that worry out of my life. Now that's uncomfortable. Because we tend to like things as they are. We don't like to worry. So what we do is instead of trusting God, we do our own thing. We forget about His people. We forget about praising Him. We forget about worshiping Him. We concentrate on the worries and the troubles. Pray, God, that that rips from you so that you might become good soil. Now I want to talk to the people who are good soil. I know most of you are city folk. I was blessed because I'm a city folk, but I got to be on a farm for three months of the year. And I noticed something. Even though farmers had good soil, they tended to plow it up. 
to turn the soil so that it might bear the nutrients and so that the nutrients might be mixed so that when you planted the seeds, good crops would come. Maybe we who think of ourselves as good soil should say, God, plow my field. Make me uncomfortable that I might bear much fruit. Because the fact is, all of us have worries and concerns. All of us have problems. But sometimes, when God plows the field, and it seems like something's happening in our lives and we wish it wasn't happening, it might be for the best for our lives and for our spiritual maturity. And not only for ours, but for the fruit that is produced. You see, God is not necessarily interested in you being comfortable. He's interested in you being fruitful. So if being fruitful means that you need to have your soil plowed, then it needs to be plowed. So that I might be uncomfortable for Him. That I might bear much fruit for Him. But let's face it, most of us, all of us, like comfort. We all like to be, well, God's blessed me with this and that, and I have this big house and this big car and all these things, and my, my life is wonderful, and I have 2.4 kids, and they're going to go to great colleges, and I'm just, my life is wonderful. Some of the most spiritual people I've ever met, their lives have been in a mess. Because they're trusting God, not the concerns of the world. They believe God when He says, I'm going to go away to prepare a place for you. And they're more concerned about that place that Jesus is building than what they're sitting in now. So, as I say this, again, Jesus didn't use this in his explanation, and I may be wrong, but I think it preaches. I think it's right. I think if we find ourselves having thorns and thistles in our lives, we need to ask God to uproot them. And for God to make our soil rich and bountiful. And if that means having our life disturbed a little, instead of it being perfectly even, disrupted and pulled up so that we can be fruitful. That's what we need to do. So I see this parable two ways. One, for us to be evangelists, to be a sower, to present the Word of God, and to not be Selfish with it. And to understand that it is not our responsibility what soil the seed falls on. If the seed falls on good soil, that's because God prepared good soil. 
If, if it falls on the hard road, not our fault. We simply did what he told us to do. Preach the word. As Paul says, preach in season and out of season. When people want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it. Our obligation is to sow it. I also think part of the purpose of this parable is for us to examine our lives. and To see what type of soil we are. And to not be satisfied with whatever soil it is unless we find ourselves the type of soil that is producing over a hundredfold. And quite frankly, there ain't many of us like that. We all could use a little plowing. We all could use a little gardening, taking out the weed. So as we think about our soil, we also need to understand that when we can stop sowing is after he's come again. We're going to sing until the whole world hears. And as we sing that, I want you to think about it. Our job isn't done after the whole world hears. It's done after it hears again and again, and again, and again, until he comes back. That's when our job is over. So brothers and sisters, I pray for me and I pray for you that we're the good soul. I also pray that we become energetic and start sowing like there's no tomorrow. And God, all God's people said,